Good morning. Before we get into the message today, just a couple of things. Um, first of all, just in regards to what happened in California uh, this past week. Um, <clears throat> despite what ever newspaper that was that had that horrible headline, if you saw that, Prayer does make a difference. And so we need to be praying for, not only for the families that were affected by that, <clears throat> whether their loved ones were injured or actually died, but um, just praying for God to continue to move in this country. Um, and so I wanna just, I wanna do that right now. And then I encourage you just to continue to do that um, every day, because it will make a difference if we'll do it. Father, we thank you for uh, all that you have given us in, in this country and for all of the things that we have that we so often take for granted. And so, Lord, we lift up before you now the tragedy that uh, occurred in California as well as those other ones that have preceded it. Father, it breaks our hearts when things like this happen. And so, Father, I pray for your peace and your comfort to come into the lives of the families that were affected by this. And I pray as well for your protection against any other attacks that may be planned. We just thank you, Father, that we can come before you and that it will make a difference. We give you praise, Lord God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The other thing that I wanted to just sort of lay out before you is this. A while back, I had the idea that on Christmas Eve, we could do something as a church to bless those who have to work on Christmas Eve. And so the idea was that we would put together gift bags of some nature, nothing big, you know, not $50 bags or anything like that, but just a few things that could bless somebody who was stuck working at a 7-Eleven or maybe at the hospital or has to be on duty at the police department or the fire station or whatever. And so what I need to know from you, and then what we would do is we would have our Christmas Eve service, as we usually do, and then following the service, people would then take one, two, however many of these that they wanted to, and then take them out and we would have locations marked where we would actually have you go and deliver these bags. Question I have for you is how many would be willing to do that? Okay. I think that's enough that we'll move forward with it. But I just wanted to make sure that before we sort of engaged in this idea that we had enough people who were willing to sort of come alongside and, and be a part of it because otherwise... Um, <laughs> I'll be delivering a lot of bags on Christmas Eve and <laughs> would really rather not spend the whole evening doing that. <laughs> Let me clarify that. I'm more than willing to do s uh, several. Um, well, we're doing the, a series called The Light That Leads Us Home, and we began last week. And uh, this series runs uh, through Advent and Christmas and then really into the very first part of the new year. Before we get into that, though, we want to um, 
light the candles on our Advent wreath. And uh, today is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, And as a reminder of the coming of the Christ child, we light these Advent candles. And we do so because each candle represents a certain aspect of our spiritual preparation uh, for the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus. And so the first candle that we lit last week and that we relight this week, maybe, is the candle of hope. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, says the Lord of hosts. We relight this candle in the sure hope that God's promises endure. The second candle is the light of peace. The light of hope has awakened our spirits. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Renew in us your covenant, O God, that we may be ready for the dawn of your salvation. We light a second candle, the candle of peace, to bring light to every darkness and to guide us in the way of peace. (coughs) With gratitude for your light, O God, let us prepare to welcome a new birth of your love. Let us live in the light of peace as we await the coming of the Lord. Amen. Well, as you probably have figured out, this is the second Sunday of Advent. And the second Sunday of Advent is about peace. That's the sort of the word for this week, the week that we'll go into. And so I have a question for you. Have you ever had something happen to you that scared the peace right out of you? <laughs> well, a number of years ago it happened to me. I went to the doctor to get a physical. And, uh, you know, the doctor did all of those tests that they normally do. You get, you know, they take your temperature and your blood pressure and they poke and prod here and there and everywhere and, you know, do all those things. And they take blood. You know, they take a couple of vials of blood. And they go and they test those, right? And so um, they sent these off to the lab for tests and, you know, then they call you and, and tell you everything's okay. Well, about a week or so after my physical, I get a call that says I have to come in and see the doctor that he wants to speak to me. And of course, the nurse won't tell you what the doctor wants to talk to you about. And so I did the sane, reasonable thing that most everyone, I think, would do in this situation. I immediately concluded that I had AIDS. Now, it didn't really seem to matter that my rational mind knew how you contracted AIDS and that that same rational mind also knew that I had never received a blood transfusion and had never engaged in the kind of risky behaviors that sort of lead to AIDS, okay? But nonetheless, the rational stuff just went right out that window And I I was afraid that I was part of some 
yet undiscovered, infinitesimally small number of people who get AIDS in some previously unforeseen way. <laughs> Crazy, right? Turns out that my cholesterol was a little high. <laughs> That's what he wanted to talk to me about. That's what the nurse couldn't share with me over the phone. Now, maybe this kind of thing happens to you. I hope not. <laughs> but maybe it doesn't take much um, for fear to come in and steal peace. How about if an angel came to visit you in person? Well, it really shook up John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. It happened to him. See, he was a priest, and he was in the Holy of Holies. This is the place of God's presence. And he was chosen this particular time. It was his turn to go in to the Holy of Holies. And so he was doing his priestly duties when all of a sudden the angel Gabriel appears to him. And this is what scripture tells us about his reaction. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was troubled and overcome with fear. That's saying that fear took over him. Have you ever been taken over by fear? You become so afraid after you've lost a job or after a medical diagnosis or you know, your child has made some really poor choices that you become paralyzed with fear. It doesn't have to happen that way, though. It doesn't have to be that way. It is possible that we can have peace in the most bizarre and unpredictable situations and circumstances. Let's read about an instance now, taken directly from God's word, where peace overcame fear. If you have a Bible and you want to read along, you can turn to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Verses 26 to 38. So Luke 1, 26 to 38. And we'll have it up here on the screen as well. So it starts out, now in the sixth month after that, and this was referring to the angel Gabriel making an appearance to Elizabeth and Zechariah and explaining to them that they are going to also kind of miraculously have a child. So that's what the sixth month was. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth to a girl never having been married and a virgin engaged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. After he came to her and said, excuse me, and he came to her and said, Hail, O favored one, endued with grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed favored of God are you before all other women. But when she saw him, she was greatly troubled and disturbed and confused at what he said. <coughs> and 
and kept revolving in her mind what such a greeting might mean. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen carefully. You will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and eminent and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will reign, excuse me, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin and have no intimacy with any man? Then the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And listen. Even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. A couple of things, just sort of of a <clears throat> sort of a historical or cultural note that I think are kind of interesting about this particular passage. <clears throat> Many of you probably know this, but for those that you do, that don't, it's estimated that Mary was probably about twelve or thirteen years old when this took place. Okay, um, Jewish girls were normally pledged to be married around the age of twelve, and then they were actually married about a year later. So that's the way the process worked. Um, Now, what's sort of interesting is that this is in stark contrast to her cousin, who in the passage earlier is described as being far advanced in years. So what was she, like 25? (laughs) How does that make you feel, ladies? (laughs) You're over the hill at 25. Far advanced in years. Um, Another thing that I found interesting was that of all the names that were recorded of women in that period, in in scripture and otherwise, other areas, other places, about half of them were called Mary and the other half were called Salome. So it was a very common name, as was Joseph, also a very, very common name uh, during that time period. And then the third area sort of gets into some doctrinal stuff, but I thought it was worthwhile mentioning. Mary is described by Gabriel as being a favored one. Now, we believe that those words meant that Mary had become the become favored, and it was bestowed that favor was bestowed on her by a superior. In this case, it was actually God that bestowed that favor on her. It did not point out any special virtue in Mary. She was not sinless, as some would believe. At least there is no evidence in Scripture that that is the case. Some have also suggested that Mary was favored because of what she was in herself, who she really was, that she somehow had grace that she could bestow on other people. And then there are some that actually believe she remained a virgin forever. All right, well, 
Scripture gives us completely the opposite understanding of that. God chose Mary, who was this virtually unknown woman that had no status. A 12-year-old girl in that society had no status, none. Um, She was from this obscure hill village that was in the northern part of the country. He blessed her, and then she humbly accepted the call to be the mother of Jesus. But then she did go on to have other children. Scripture tells us that she had other children, right? Okay, so I point that out simply because, I mean, I grew up Catholic, right? And Catholics pray to Mary, which I don't think is a good approach, but that's at least what they do. And they base some of that on on some of these scriptures that um, are in this passage, However, there's a number of other ones, I think, that sort of contradict that. So it was worth, I thought it was worth pointing out that there were uh, some difficulties with some of these things. The first thing I want to really look at is the fact that, that real peace, real, true, enduring peace comes through a relationship with him, with God. Now, just look at the contrast between the way Mary reacted when Gabriel shows up and the way Zechariah reacted when Gabriel shows up. Basically, Zechariah freaks out, right? He just, I mean, the scripture is very clear. It says he, he was overcome with fear, all right? But Mary, not so much. Mary doesn't do that. She's not unaffected by this angelic visit. I mean, it says she was greatly troubled and disturbed and confused, but nothing in that reaction indicates fear. See, the text is very specific in saying that Zechariah was afraid, but it does not say that Mary was. Now, the text does record that Gabriel said to her, do not be afraid. But could it be that Gabriel mistook her consternation for fear. I mean, angels can't read our minds. And after his encounter with Zechariah, he certainly would have expected a 12-year-old girl to be somewhat fearful. And I mean, despite all of the wonderful pictures that we see of painted of, of angels, if you actually were to paint one based on the description in Scripture, they wouldn't be lovely, necessarily. They would be frightening. And so this divine messenger would certainly be enough to stir up confusion in a young teenager. And an angel who promises a special audience with God is even more confusing. So Mary is stirring these thoughts around in her mind, trying to figure out what does this all mean? And what, would I, what do I do you know, with this? And see, so I think what, what we need to take away from this is Mary, Mary was very rational. The questions that she asked in this were questions that any of us, well, you ladies would have probably asked. Maybe we would have asked even more if Angel came to me and said I was going to be the mother of someone. That would really raise some questions <laughs> in my mind. But I think she displays in this situation faith 
and not fear. See, rather than engaging in fear, she asks just, okay, well, how is this miraculous event going to, uh, to occur? I mean, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. See, Zechariah's mistake was that he asked for proof. He wanted to know how, was this, how will I know this has happened. Mary was simply asking for an explanation. And so I think her question reveals a lot of spiritual sensitivity. Mary must have understood somehow that Gabriel was referring to some miracle child that was going to be born while she was still a virgin prior to her actually getting married to Joseph. And so she naturally kind of wonders, well, how is this going to happen? But what also seems obvious to me is that despite all of this uncertainty, Mary had a great deal of peace with what was going on here. When doubt and fear start to creep in, rational thought tends to just fly away, as my story earlier clearly demonstrates. No rational person would assume they were contracted AIDS without having any of the, you know, But I think Mary is able to have this kind of, this degree of peace and to be able to think rationally in an irrational situation, which an angelic visitation certainly is, because she had a relationship with God. She knows who she is. She says it right there in the last part of the passage. I am a servant of the Lord. And she obviously knows who God is. And so while that fact isn't conclusive, it clearly to me speaks of evidence of a relationship. You know, she didn't have a Bible. There wasn't such a thing. And she couldn't have have read it even if she had one because they didn't teach girls in particular to read. But she would have been taught the stories even as, as young children, the girls were educated up to a certain point, and they were told the stories. So she heard all of the stories about God. All the stories that we find in our Old Testament. And the thing is, she didn't just catalog those as stories, as so many people, even church people, tend to do. She believed them. She cataloged them as truth, not simply as stories. Well, then you might ask, what does that say about Zechariah? As a priest, wouldn't he have had a relationship with God? Well, overall, I would say that the answer to that question is yes, he most assuredly did. However, it's also possible that he had given up on God, at least to a certain degree, Maybe because all of his prayers for so long for a child had remained unanswered up to that point. Maybe he had just let his relationship grow cold, as many of us do from time to time. That's why it is so important to stay plugged in. You know, the story talks about how when you take an ember out of a fire and you place it on the hearth, 
it doesn't take very long for that to grow cold and for the whatever fire there may be in it to die out. However, just as quickly, if you pick up that cold ember and put it back in the fire, it blazes up again. And so it's so important to stay in the fire. And you do so, I think, by a number of ways. You come here on Sundays and you experience the fellowship and the corporate worship of the body of Christ. And then you meet regularly with a small group who helps disciple you and helps you walk out this Christian life and helps to keep you accountable. And you take time daily for prayer and study and, and meditation on the Word of God. If you do those things, then you will be cultivating the kind of close relationship with God that I'm convinced allowed Mary to bypass fear in this very strange experience that she had. Second thing I'd like to draw out from this is that peace comes from knowing God's capabilities. <clears throat> now, as I just said, it's certainly not out of the question that, that Mary would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah. And if you don't know that story, what I'm referring to is Abraham and Sarah were an older couple, well past the age when conceiving a child was considered to be possible. And then these, these three strangers visit them out in the, where they were housing themselves in, in tents. And one of the strangers at one point told Abraham that at, by this time next year, Sarah would have a son. Well, Sarah's kind of listening at the door of the tent and laughs, as many of us probably would have had we heard the same thing. It's like, And so <clears throat> the stranger hears this, or at least knows it happens. And he asks Abraham about it. And then his comment was, or is, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? When God calls Mary to be the mother of his son, <clears throat> he puts her faith to a pretty unusual test. Is she going to have the faith to believe that God is able to create life in her? Zechariah had problems with that. He had trouble believing the lesser miracle of God and just overcoming barrenness and age. Now, God is calling Mary to believe that she's going to give birth to the Savior, not just any child, but the Savior of the world, the Messiah, that had been long awaited for centuries. And that he is going to enter the stream of life by virginal conception. See, maybe it was because of her remembrance of this story of Abraham and Sarah that Mary doesn't ask for a sign like Zechariah did. But Gabriel gives her one anyway. And he explains that Mary's relative, her cousin Elizabeth, is also pregnant now as a result of God's grace. And I think he does this for a couple of reasons. One, just to give her encouragement. And two, he gives her a person that she could go to in a very difficult time 
when she's going to need a lot of support. And then he kind of delivers this kicker. The words that more than likely would have caused young Mary to recall Abraham and Sarah's story. But if not, it certainly reminded her about the God that she served. The angel said, for with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. I think this part of the story illustrates for us how little faith we typically have in God's abilities to do things that far exceed what we think could be possible. Maybe it's because that kind of God scares us a little bit. Perhaps it scares us because if that's really true, it underscores how little control we actually have over things. What Mary knew and what we need to remember is that God always, always, always has your best in mind. That knowledge, coupled with the knowledge that our God can do anything, will be enough, should be enough, to sustain peace in any season or in any situation. Thirdly, peace allows us to fully accept God's will and plan. You know, when, when God announced that, the, that there was a child to be born uh, several times in Scripture, we, which we've talked about, there are these various responses we see. Sarah, as we just noted, laughed. So, well, how, you know, right. That's not going to happen. Zechariah doubted. By contrast, Mary submits, knowing that she is nothing more and nothing less than a servant of God. She believed the angel's words and agreed to bear this child, even under humanly impossible circumstances and even with difficult social consequences. A young unmarried girl who became pregnant risked disaster in that time. Unless the father of the child agreed to marry her, she would probably remain unmarried for her entire life. If her own father had rejected her, she could be forced into begging or prostitution just in order to earn a living. She risked losing Joseph, her fiancé. She risked losing her family. She risked losing her reputation. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, she tells the story of how the Holy Spirit made her pregnant, and so risked being labeled as crazy as well. Still, despite all of the risks, Mary says, may it be done unto me according to your word. When Mary said that, she didn't even know about the tremendous opportunity that she would have. She took a risk of faith. She didn't consult with anyone else. She didn't take time to weigh the pros and the cons. 
She only knew that God was asking her to serve, and she willingly obeyed. And I think as believers, we all need to model Mary's kind of trust and responsiveness. Too many of us want to see that we, we need to wait to see the bottom line before we're going to offer ourselves to God. God wants willing servants who will say yes to him unconditionally. And in some of the most extreme conditions imaginable, Mary shows us how it's done. In the character of Ebenezer Scrooge, we find someone who is most definitely not at peace, at least for most of the story. Scrooge was a man who thought happiness and ultimately peace. Hmm? Didn't it go? Scrooge thought happiness and ultimately peace came from external things. And in his case, it was money. And so it takes a series of supernatural visitations, beginning with his old partner, Jacob Marley, <clears throat> all of which in, you know, induced in him a tremendous amount of fear before he finally realizes how wrong he was. And so in the words of our current culture, don't be that guy. This season, the season of Christmas, ask God for the gift of his lasting peace. Ask him to fill your heart with it and to convince you of his love for you once again. If your heart is not right with God today, and if you have never surrendered to him and asked him to lead your life, then that is where peace begins for you today. And if you wish to do that, please come up and see me after the service, and we will take care of that.